as y'all wrap up, I'm going to close this in prayer here. Well, God, we thank you for what you're doing. Um, and we just are excited to see this take place. Um, when we recognize that you're moving and that you're active. And may we um, see you and may we worship you. And may today just be about worshiping you. And may we, as a response of seeing you uh, redeem people and give them life, um, that you've already done that in their lives. And this baptism is just a symbol. Um, but Lord, may we celebrate and worship what you do and how you are the giver of life. In your name, amen. All right. Hey, thanks for doing that, guys. So uh, just a little update on our, our, our bracket tournament. Um, I'm pretty sure my wife's going to win, even though she's not in first place right now. I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, it's rigged. Uh, Emily Singer is currently in first place, although no offense, that will probably not last because she picked Gonzaga to win it all, and they lost yesterday. So, uh, and then it's Matt and Melina. So, you know, Anna was running great, and she still got a shot for third. So, um, hey, but thanks for coming out today. If this is your first time here, um, basically what we are is we're just the college guys and girls at Fredonia, and we have a couple goals. One of our goals is to be your friend, uh, not just to be friendly to you, but to be your friend. So we want to be your friend. So if that means you like coffee, let's get coffee. If you like lunch, let's get lunch. If you like a smoothie, uh, they're just smoothie king. Go for it. But, like, um, also, another one of those things is that we want to study God's Word. We, we think God's Word teaches us about who God is, and we want to be in a relationship with God. And so when we're studying God's Word, we want to learn who God is so we can have a relationship with God. Because if we're just smart people who know about God, then all we are is smart people. But if we've actually met God, we've interacted with God, then what we are is that we are in relationship with God. And I'd much rather be in a relationship with God than be a dude who can win Jeopardy about God. So, uh, today we're, we're going to be studying the Bible. We're in Exodus 32. And to everyone's incredible surprise, we're still in the book of Exodus. I know all of y'all are shocked. Um, but I want to tell you guys real quick, next week, Melina and I actually aren't going to be here. Nobody cheer. Nobody cheer. Uh, and actually her best friend and like one of my good friends uh, is getting married. And so we're going to be in Georgia. I know, like crazy. And Miss Sheila Cuey, I don't know if you guys know who Miss Sheila is. Miss Sheila's going to be teaching next week. Um, so let me just be flat out straight and honest with you. You need to be here because <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Uh, we were like talking about who should teach and just meeting like Miss Sheila. And we called her. She's like, absolutely. So um, I can't wait for you guys to do that. She's going to tell a lot of stories. And so I think it'll be really good for us. Um, now, we're going to meet Exodus 32. All right. So today... I just, I want to kind of dive in here. I, the small talk at the beginning is what I struggle with. So we're just going to dive right in. Um, today we're going to talk about what do we do after we've disobeyed God. I think it's a place that we find ourselves in often. Um, we, we are striving to obey the Lord. We understand that we can only obey God by His Holy Spirit working within us. And so obedience comes as a response to God. And we understand all of that. Yet, we disobey God sometimes. And there's a failure to worship, and we disobey God. And I, I don't know, have you guys ever found me, found yourself in the spot, and you're like, well, now what do I do? Like, I know that I messed up, and now what? 
And I think the problem isn't, or there are two different things happen in our life. One, we struggle and we just disobey regularly. Or two, we we disobey, but we don't really like know how to stop disobeying. Does that make sense? And we don't know, what do I do from now? I've made a mistake. Now what? Uh, it's kind of like when you're a little kid and you're playing softball or baseball in the backyard. And, like, your buddy threw the ball, and you've got the big metal bat that, you know, you're, everyone should use in a backyard in, a, in, like, a neighborhood area. And your buddy just threw a fastball, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And next thing you know, you're breaking your neighbor's window and cat. And you're like, you're like, oh, I've messed up. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And so today we're going to talk about what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Um, and we're going to look at a story where the Israelites really messed up. And then I'm going to kind of just show you different ex- things in the Bible that, talk to us about what do we do after that. Does that make sense? This is yes. This is yes. Okay. Three of y'all. I appreciate that. Um, we're in Exodus 32. If you're there, say I'm there. My people, come on. All right. I don't care what those people said about you. Y'all are great. Um, Exodus, oh, this is also another side note. Our computer like blew up last Thursday. So I don't have any slides for you today, and I'm so sorry, but we will have them next week. Can you just guys use your phones or use your Bibles? I would really appreciate that. All right, Exodus 32, let's go. Uh, I'm going to read the first six verses. Uh, hold on, I, I didn't set this up. So they are at Mount Sinai, and remember all the lightning and the thunder, and there was just this incredible display of power, and God is showing off to the Israelites And he's saying, I am your God. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. Worship me. And he gives them this law. And we talked about the law the last three weeks. And we said this law is structured. And this law is to teach the Israelites how to have a relationship with God. Um, And it's teaching Israelites how to be relational with each other. So we saw that the law was relational. And we saw that there was grace. and, um, And in the midst of this, for a period, Aaron was up there with Moses on top of the mountain, and then Aaron comes down, and it's just Moses, and Moses and God are having a conversation, and Aaron's down with the people. And today we're going to talk about a story we guys are familiar with with the Israelites, the golden calf. And so we're going to see what happens right here. Um, God has just been giving the law to Moses. He's been saying, like, here's how this is going to work. This is what the nuts and bolts of, like, being my people is going to look like. And he's doing all that, and while he's doing that, this occurs. So, we're in Exodus 32. That's the setting. Does everyone understand the setting? All right, good. I feel like I have energy today. All right, uh, Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, <laughs> not, not get up, just up. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. (sighs) This is one of those crazy stories because you just, if you look, if you think about it, 
Y'all just saw lightning and thunder and God's power on display and that you're literally being led by a pillar of a fire and a pillar of cloud and your God's presence is so evident but Moses goes up on a mountain and they're like that dude's been up there forever must have died who really know what happened to him and they say you know what Aaron I guess you're in charge now and they say why don't you make us some gods to worship a lot of things are at play here we're going to read God's response in a second But the Israelites are rebelling against the Lord and making gods of their own. Um, I would say that the Israelites here, what they wanted was they wanted a culture of worshiping gods. Um, When they were in Egypt, they had a culture of worshiping different gods. And so that was the culture that they were kind of wanting. And so they decided to take matters into their own hands and to create these gods that would be similar uh, to what they had experienced. And so here we see that the Israelites wanted spirituality, but they didn't want a relationship with actual God, like the real God, the creator of the universe. Um, side note, we're going to talk about this in a second, but are, do we want just spiritual lives? Do we want to be spiritual beings? Or do we want to actually have a relationship with the creator of the universe? Let's just keep that in our mind here. Um, and so they desire to worship something rather than, like they're like, I need to worship something now. I need to do like this religious activity rather than wait for God. So Moses up there receiving the law, receiving how all this is going to go down. And they were like, I'm, let's, you know, let's, let's build a calf. Let's go with that. Um, man, Aaron here, the brother of Moses, the, the priest of the Israelites, man, really dropped the ball. In um, this, the way that we would understand this is like Aaron's the worship leader. All right. We all know like worship leaders. And uh, so Aaron here is a worship leader. And he's, his job is to teach the Israelites what it means to worship the Lord. And he misses it completely. He gets suckered into a corner, and, he, and instead of standing up and saying, no, we will worship the God, who, the real God, who brought us out of the land of Egypt. He says, well, everyone bring me their gold. And he goes, I'm going to make something. And it says that he, he crafted this calf. Yeah, when Moses eventually confronts Aaron about this, Aaron says, I put it in the fire, and there came a calf out of it. I didn't do nothing to it. It just popped out. And, but we see here in this passage that, like, he crafted this image. So after everything they had witnessed, they still rebelled. The reason I'm bringing this up is because this is us in our lives. After everything we've seen in our, God do in our life, there are moments in our life that despite that, we rebel against God. And despite our knowing how to worship God, and being in awe and reverence of him, there's a lack of worship in our life towards God, and there's a worship in our life towards other things. There's worship in our life toward idols, and we're going to talk about what that looks like. Um, but I want you all just to read God's response. We're not really going to, you know, really dive into all of the nuts and bolts of how he responds, but I want you just to have perspective of what God says. So verses 7 through 10. All right. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. God's upset. Uh, and so this idea that uh, 
sin doesn't bother God. I just, I just want to, I want to throw it out there. Like sin bothers God immensely. He says so that my, I'm, my wrath is burning hot. He says this is a stiff neck people. We don't use that phrase stiff neck, um, but we we do say uh, ignorant, stuck in their ways, uh, just not getting it. And so our sin in our lives. There's someone who said, like, someone I heard once, someone once said, they said, uh, I don't care who you are, I don't care what you've done, there's nothing in your life that you've done that can make God not be upset with you. And that, that's kind of like a general teaching. Um, but before we've come to know the Lord and believed upon uh, Jesus at the cross for salvation and for the covering of our sin, um, I, I'm sorry, but like the deeds that we've done in our life anger the Lord that our, that's our sin. And to say that, man, your sin doesn't really make God angry, like, it's, it's a lie. Like, God is angry at sin. But the, the, that's so, you can't say, like, well, that's kind of harsh. Why would you say that? Because if God's angry at sin, the beauty of the cross is that he said, look, sin frustrates me. It gets, it gets me boiling inside. But because Jesus takes the punishment and the penalty of my sin, now the person who is ruled and reigned by sin now can walk with God, now can be in a relationship with God. And so the beauty of the cross is that, yeah, sin frustrates God. And so you can't just say, like, sin doesn't frustrate God. No, sin frustrates God. But he is so willing to forgive. And Jonah says that God's desire is that none would perish, but that all would receive life, all that he would be able to forgive all. And so he's looking at those who are ruled and reigned by sin, and sin frustrates him. But he's saying, I desire for them to repent. I desire them to be relational with me. And so... I just want to throw it out there. God does get frustrated about sin. Now, if we are a believer, does God sit down and be like, they sinned again. I don't like them. My, my anger burns fiery within me. I don't, know, I don't know. What would God say? But no, what he says is he, he looks at what God, Jesus has done for us on Calvary. When, so when Jesus dies on Calvary, it says that in the Bible, it says that Jesus gathered all sin to one place and took care of it. He took care of the punishment, the consequence of that sin that one time. And so when, despite my shortcomings, after I've come to know the Lord, when I sin, he, God doesn't see me as like, ah, sinner, sinner, sinner. What he sees is like, that man has been purchased by the blood of my son. And what my death, Jesus' death, has completely taken the penalty of my sin. Now, does God love sin? No, he hates it. He hates it. But we're, because of what Jesus did, we're able to be in a relationship with him. So you can't have the beauty of the cross without understanding that God is very much against sin. And that sin makes him wrathful. Does that make sense? Okay, I got a little fired up there. But that's the basic premise here. So let's talk about idols. Whew, that's a fun topic. All right, so there are two characteristics of idols. And I want to just spit these out real quick. Idols in our lives are things that captivate our hearts or our imaginations. The first thing is that idols captivate our heart or our imagination. And the second is that idols are things that we trust for, um, things that we trust for what only God can give. So let me say that again. Idols captivate our hearts or our imaginations, and we trust in idols for something only God can give. A great example of this is peace or happiness or security. We trust in blank. We trust in a job. We trust in a relationship. We trust in a bank account. We trust in self-esteem, uh, identity for 
things that only God can give when we say that God is the giver of life. God's the giver of peace. God's the giver of security. And so idols are things in our life that we're looking to fulfill something that God fulfills. And we're looking elsewhere for that fulfillment. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So an idol is something that God is, God fulfills this thing. And we're saying, I'm going to seek that fulfillment from something else. When we seek that fulfillment from something else, we're essentially worshiping an idol instead of worshiping God. So what do we do? Because if I would sit here and say, like, how many of y'all have idols in your life? I wouldn't expect any of y'all to, if I went to your house, would show me on your mantle. These are my idols I worship. I think uh, <laughs> that would be really interesting. Um, but I would say there are idols in our life that we worship. Um, and in order for us to know what those are, we have to really pause and say, God, why don't you show me? Why don't you show me what these are? But that's not today. Today, I'm just assuming we have them, because I think we do. And I think it's healthy for us to sit down and ask Lord what our idols are. But today, it's like, okay, I've made a mistake, now what? I've worshipped another idol, now what? Because there's hope. There's hope. We have, those of us who are in relationship with God, God's covered our sin. God's forgiven our sin. And so we have hope. We have a relationship with him, so now what? So, have you guys ever thought about how do we sin? Like, what's the nuts and bolts, and like, how does this actually happen? Go to James 1. It's in the New Testament. It's after the book of Hebrews. I just want to hit on this real quick, if I can find it. Uh, when I was a kid, I was fascinated by how things work. Like, I would look at a computer board and go, so how does, how do these little things make a screen light up? And, or like, what does a capacitor do? And I was always frustra- frustrated, but I was um, intrigued by how things worked. Like, how does a car actually run? Or how does this occur? And does anyone else kind of like, like that? Like, they want to know, like, the how does this work? Like, how does electricity work? Like, how, why do why do plants grow? Uh, I just, I think about the why and how. And so, when I think about sin, I think, why do we sin? And how does this actually take place? And this is a little philosophical in nature. Um, but, hey, I don't know if y'all ever thought about that. Why did I get here? How did I get here? Why am I sinning? And I think when we find ourselves after we've sinned, we kind of can sit down sometimes and go, how did I get here? What what happened? Let's look at James 1, verses 14 to 15. I'm going to do this real quick. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth to death. Let's read that again, verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth to death. It's pretty simple there. What we see is that within us, each one of us goes through time, each one of us is tempted in life. None of us have to, like, argue that. We all are aware of that. Each one of us is tempted. 
Our temptations look different. Each one of us is tempted. And so what happens when we're tempted is that we're lured and enticed like a, a, a fish on a fishing rod. We're lured and enticed by our own desires. So when we're tempted, there's something within us that says, hmm, let's do that. That looks good. Let's go this way. So we're lured and enticed by our own desires. And when desire, when we give in to our desire, it says when it has conceived. So when we act on this desire, it gives birth to sin. So sin occurs in our life when our desires that are evil within us and we're enticed by something and we act on it. Does that make sense? So how do we sin? We're enticed by our own desires. Please hear what I didn't say. We sin because the devil tempted me. Never said that. We sin because we live in a fallen world. That's not what I said. Now, is the result of a fallen world is that there is sin in the world? Yes, yes, yes. I did not mean to get into theological discussion there. But what I am saying is that when we sin, it's because something within us desires to sin. Y'all see that? And so when you're sitting there going, man, what do I do now? You've got to go straight to the heart and say, man, there's a desire within me that's off. The Israelites had a desire within them to worship, but it was so twisted and it was off. And they just worshiped this calf, a cow. Instead of the mighty God who's literally making thunder happen and lightning. And so when we sin, our desires are off. So if we're sitting here going, okay, what do we do in the midst of that? It sounds to me like our prayer to God is, God, change my desire. My desires are all whack, Lord. And I'm desiring things that aren't what you desire. So change my desires. And I think this happens through worship. I'm going to read you guys a verse. Y'all won't need to go to this one. Um, when I first understood that, that the reason that I sin is because my desires are out of place, I kind of got a little defensive. <laughs> You're telling me that when I sin, it's because there's something within me that desired that? And I said, no, <laughs> I'm a man of God. Or at the time, a young man of God, you know. <laughs> and... uh like, how dare you say that? How dare you say that? And what does the Bible say? We are lured and enticed. It's just so appeasing. So appeasing. You guys ever be at a restaurant and somebody, like, to the table next to you orders something awesome and they just walk by with, and, and like, you already ordered, like, the chicken nuggets and you're like, man, I should have gotten that thing. Like, I've never had scampi in my life, but that looks awesome. And, like, and, uh, and I, that happens to me, like, with the fajitas, and they're, like, bringing it back. I'm like, man, I should have got fajitas. What happens is that we're, like, enticed by the fajitas. Like, hey, look over there. They're sizzling. <laughs> like, we're lured and enticed by it. And we're like, man, I should have got that. And you start, that little person, what did we get there? Um, and that's what sin does. Sin's like Mr. Opportunity. He goes, hey, I know they just told you off, and you know that little thing about their past, and you could really put them in the grave right now. 
What do you think? And you're, you're just looking at those fajitas. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to tell them. And you're like, well, you don't want to know what I think? And then you start telling them. And all of a sudden, you're lured and enticed by your own desires. But I'm a man of God. I'm a godly man. God lives within me. I'm a Christian. I go to church every Sunday. And uh, what am I going to do now? You're lured and enticed by your own desires. Bottom line is, is that we sin because our desires are out of whack. And so we have to ask God to change our desires. So what should our desires be? Well, I don't want to just give you that. I want us to look at who did God create us to be. How are we meant to function? Because it's all intertwined. Let's look at this. And Isaiah 43, verse 7, Isaiah is just talking. He's talking. He's saying great stuff. But then he, he very quickly, you don't have to turn there. He, just, he very quickly says, this is the nature of man. It's like he's talking, and then he goes, nature of man, and then he keeps going. All right? So in Isaiah 43, verse 7, you don't have to be there, but if you want to be there, shout out to Bible Drill. But here, here's what he says. Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. It's literally the second half of the sentence. All right? He's saying, those who called by my name, he said, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So those that God has called, he has created for his glory, and he has formed them, and he has made them. You all see that? He's formed us, he's made us who we are, and he's created us for his glory. God created us to worship. We have to start here. Aaron was a worship leader, right? But he misunderstood that God created us to worship him. God created us to worship In Psalm 95, I want us to go there. Psalm 95, we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. And I'm not trying to teach you the entire psalm here. I just want to look at what does he say about how man should interact with God. What is a proper response to God? Okay, so we're reading this and we're asking ourselves, what is man's proper response to God? We just saw in Isaiah 43, man was made for the glory of God. Man was made to worship God. You were made to worship God. You were not made to be an accountant, to be a nurse, to be a great guy. You're not made to find a wife. You're not made to be moral. You're not made to have the coolest car. You were made to worship God. Point blank, simple, boom, okay? So anything else you think you're made for this, I just got to tell you, man, you're made to worship God. If you're trying to Fulfill your identity and be made for anything else other than that. What you're doing is you're worshiping an idol. And we've got to get ourselves here. I was made to worship God. You were made to worship God. So, how should man respond to God? Psalm 95, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. What do we see? Let's start there. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. There's the maker and there's people who bow down. Those are the two characters in this psalm. There's the maker and there's the creator of the universe. And there's people who bow down. In Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's two things that exist in Genesis 1.1. There's God who created, so a creator, and creation. And from the very first verse in the entire Bible, we see that there's an elevation between creator and creation. 
In Psalm 95, it says, come let us worship and bow down, kneel before the Lord our maker. There is maker and there is creator and there is creation. In a creation's response to creator, are we still tracking? Creation's response to our creator is to worship him, to bow down, to recognize his authority. Okay, what does this have to do with not sinning after we've messed up? Man, the way that we, I was talking, I was talking, telling someone this just yesterday. The way that we combat things is not always as direct as we think. Um, can I use an example here? So say you have a problem of uh, being envious, all right? You're uh, the lady who lives next to you in the dorm. She's got the coolest I don't know, blank, whatever you think's cool. And and you're just envious. And the, and you realize this is a sin in your life, and you're like, okay, I need to purge myself of this sin. The way that you stop becoming envious isn't to say, Don't be envious. Don't be envious. But you're like, Well, shouldn't it? Like if you're envious and you don't want to be envious, just focus on not being envious, and you won't be envious. That's not how it works. Well often it's I, I say backdoor way of thinking in the kingdom because, like, if, you, if you're broke, the way that you get money is just save money, right? It's very direct. But in the kingdom of God, if you're envious and struggling with a sin, the way that you combat that isn't by just saying, I'm not going to be envious or I'm going I'm to be content. I'm content. I'm a content guy. My name's John. I'm Mr. Content. Like, that's not how you do that. You, that's not it. What that is is that's you trying hard at life. That's you trying to grind, trying to make something happen on your own effort. What does the Bible say about our own effort? It's like filthy rags. Okay, so we can't do that. That doesn't work. So what works? Well, what what were we created to do? Worship. God made us to worship. God made us to be creation that that worships a creator. Okay? So when we sin, we're not worshiping God. That's where we got off. Sin is when we're not worshiping God. And so, in order for us to move on from our sin, the goal isn't to just stop sinning, but it's to start worshiping again. And I don't mean, like, put on some Bethel and, you know, get in the car. I mean, you need to, like, God created you to worship. There's a submission of yourself to his authority. God, you are king in my life. You are creator. I am creation. I forgot my place. I thought I was the stuff, Lord, but you are king. Rule in my life. And so if that's true, I lost my thought. Okay, but if, if that's true, if God is creator, then the way that we fight being envy is to worship. And so the way that we say when we're sitting here with our sin going, now what? It's not just try to stop doing this thing. It's, it's worship and to be about worship. And that's where we get caught up. This is where we, we find ourselves. Are we, do we worship the Lord? Tozer says this quote, and it's beautiful. It's a little long, so I'm going to try to start at the halfway point here. He's talking about how does worship affect us? Because in our mind, we might say, okay, yeah, I can worship God, but I still like sin. I've worshiped God numerous times. I've sang to him. I've, I've said, God, you're great. Gave him props. 
Um, but I still have this sin in my life, and none of that's changed. What's going on here? Um, well, we have to really think about what worship is. And is worship just us God giving props? Or is worship us just singing a song? Worship is a total surrender of who you are to God. Romans 12.1 says, Present your body as a living sacrifice to God, acceptable and pleasing to Him. This is your spiritual act of worship. So worship, let's go backwards on that. Worship equals giving our entire selves to God. And when we give our entire self to God, that means we're relational with Him. Okay? That means we desire the same things. We saw earlier that it's our desire that leads us to sin. And so our desires need to change. And we can't just say, God, change my desires. Oh, let's just say I had a problem of eating too much pizza, which I <laughs> definitely don't. Uh, but if, say I had a problem of eating too much pizza, and my desire was, if I just said, like, God, change my desire. But every day I went to Pizza Hut. But at the end of every day, I was like, change my desire. You, you're, you're a fool. You're, you're a pizza-loving fool. Like, what are you doing? You can't just say, change my desire. If you desire, God to ch- if you desire for God to change your desires, that's a little tricky there. If you want God to change your desires because you want to worship, your focus has to be on worship. And so this other little thing that says I'm interesting, like drive by pizza, like, you're, you're supposed to be so focused on the Lord. It's like blinders. You don't even notice the pizza hut to your right. And that's where we miss it. And when we worship God, our lives change. He transforms us. You remember body, soul, spirit? I've, like driven, I've drawn that a lot. Well, in body, soul, spirit, we have that transform and abide part. As we are with God and being relational with him, he transforms us. You want to get rid of a sin in your life? Here's what your new goal is. Meet with God and be relational and say, God, change me. May I be like you. May I talk like you. May I smell like you. May I be you to the people around me. And God, can you show me who you are? And man, some of us don't know who God is. Some of us think we have a relationship with God, but there's no relationship with God. And like what we talked about earlier, we we haven't ever repented from our sin. We haven't given ourselves to God. We haven't, like Romans 12, 1 says, you know, given our entire self to God as a thing of worship. But rather what we've done is just tried harder and harder to manage the junk in our life. And we, we call that behavior modification. And I've, I'm a sinner, so let me just fix my sin. And I just try harder. And this is in my life. And I'm just trying and trying and trying. And that is not the gospel. That's not in the Bible. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. And it's a gift. And so the, any idea that we can just work it, work hard and just just grind. We can take care of our sin problem is false. And so when we find ourselves sinning and we're sitting there like, man, I just messed up again. What do I do? The answer isn't quit sinning, boy. It's worship the Lord. And you're like, I don't really feel like worshiping right now. 
Well, how about you just sit in God's presence? Pray. Read the word. If, if, that, if it's singing, sing. Be thankful. Have expressions of gratitude. Go for a walk. Experience nature. See him move through the, see the wind move. and See how he created the wind. Be relational with God. We just, we've missed that. I, I'm so afraid that we've missed it. And this happens in my life too. And I, I feel like I would be a fool to say, to tell you guys that I have this mastered and I haven't done that because I'm like, okay, I'm getting frustrated a lot. Don't be frustrated. Don't be frustrated. Don't be frustrated. And I get frustrated again. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> and then I got frustrated again. And it gets a big cycle. And, and God's showing me, man, let me transform you. The goal isn't to not get frustrated. The goal isn't to not sin. The goal is to worship and to be in relationship with him. So for me, that's a different way of thinking. Where did the Israelites, and if you want to read that story, finish, you can um, read the, the last part of Exodus 32 um, and kind of see what all goes down. It's some like really crazy stuff. Um, but the goal is for us to worship God. I love what Tozer said. Y'all got me sidetracked. I'm going to read this quote now. Um, he says, there's little danger that we should become merely worshipers and neglect the practical implications of the gospel. No one can long worship God in spirit and truth before the obligation to holy service becomes too strong to resist. As we worship God, our, our way of living for him and our desire to live for him, that obligation, that desire becomes too strong that we naturally do it. He says, fellowship with God leads straight to obedience and good works. That is the divine order, and it can never be reversed. Fellowship with God leads to obedience. And we're over here saying, good works, baby. And then that, maybe I'll get to know the Lord. And he says, get to know God. And an and outward expression of that is your obedience. What is first? Well, the word says this. It says, those who love God obey his commandments. And we've just heard, like, if you, if you love God, you better obey your, his commandments. And it's like this guilt thing. Like, hey, you love God, right? Obey him. Well, we're missing it. Those who love God obey. An outward expression, a natural expression of our love for God is our obedience toward him. Um, so, that changes the way we think. Changes the way we think, changes the way we live. I kind of feel like I've said the same thing a lot. But it's the, it's just the bottom line here. So when we find ourselves in sin, we don't need to say, well, you know, it just happened. Guess I need to love God more. No. When you sin, man, Father, I am so sorry that I've sinned. God, I, I recognize that my desires are off. I sinned because my desires. Own up to it. Own up to it. I sinned because it was my desires. But God, I believe you can change desires. Help me to worship you. Will you teach me how to worship? Whoa, how about that? Teach me how to worship. If the disciples can come to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray, then we can surely enough go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, teach me how to worship. Teach me who you are. And it says that the Holy Spirit's job is to guide us into everything, to be our teacher, to guide us into all truth. He's going to guide you into how to worship the Lord. And so in that moment, confess your sin, own up to it. Own up to the desire within you. But at the same time, like, man, 
God, let me worship you. Teach me what that looks like to worship. And I know from your word, you're going to learn a lot what it means to worship God from his word. So in like Romans 12, 1, it says, okay, God, it's a living sacrifice to you. That's, that's my entire self. I'm giving my entire self to you. I love that word entire. Because sometimes we're like, this sin I'm going to take care of. But this sin's not a problem. And God, you need to understand that. That's just part of who I am. You know, I just, I'm that kind of person. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of critical or I'm whatever. And, and God's saying like, you know, full repentance is, is everything. And so here we go. You have an opportunity. What does Psalm 95 say? Let us worship and bow down, kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I love that. We're the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. What that means is that he takes care of us. He looks after us. You have a God who, because of what Jesus has done, is not angry at your sin. And for those who have, for those who have believed in Jesus upon salvation, God is not angry at your sin, but says, let me take care of you. And the way that he takes care of us is that he, he, he says, do what you were made to do. And that's worship. And I love that. And so my encouragement for you guys is to worship God. And I can't, I can't express how much I don't mean pull up your worship Spotify playlist. I, what I mean is that give your entirety to God and say, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. I'm going to be relational with him. I'm going to meet with him because I'm, as I meet with him, God is going to change me. And me being changed isn't the end result, but me knowing the creator is. I love it. You know, I am a changed man as a result of my marriage to Melina. <laughs> Let me tell you, I am a changed man. But me just changing myself isn't why I got married. I got married because I love my wife, or at the time, this girl. But, and so change is, is, an after, is a byproduct. It's an afterthought. Worship, being a relationship, is what it's about. Okay? So, two things. One, ask yourself, God, where are we at? What's in my life? What's, what am I worshiping? Two, lay it down and worship God. And with a smile, thank him for his forgiveness. Because we are not people that he is wrathful against, but we are people that he loves. And he leads in pasture. Okay? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And Father, may us not be fake and may, may we not be phony. May we be real and honest before you and say, you know what, God? Um, there are things in my life. And I admit that I've tried to just um, not do that thing. I've tried to be better in one area. And you're telling us worship. Worship you. So God, may we worship you. And God, may it be easy to worship you. That's what you've created us to do. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. Very cool. Um, I think one of my uh, favorite things um, 
that the Lord has done and has given us one of the very best gifts that he's given us is this thing um, called repentance, called an apology. I always tell John, I go, um, I love like apologies. Like they're fantastic. And he always looks like when we first got married, he's like, why? Like why that? Because that means an apology means something bad happened, like something wrong or I did something that I shouldn't have done, so therefore I have to apologize for it. I was like, yeah, but it's such a gift that the Lord has given us to be able to reconcile, like to be able to make things right, to be able to enter into a conversation and that we don't just have to sit in the brokenness. Like we don't just have to sit in the yuck, in the, um, all of the hurt. Um, but we have like, the Lord has given us a gift of being able to like have a conversation. Um, and I just believe like, as when we walk in disobedience or something occurs, um, that the moment of repentance is in our life is when we begin to worship. Um, that's when we begin to have that conversation with the Lord and we get to meet with him um, and we surrender ourselves back over. Um, and it's the starting point of worship. And that has been some of the sweetest um, in my life, the sweetest times that I've had with the Lord. But um, a lot of times we're like, uh, repentance is kind of weird word. Don't really want to go there. Don't really want to tell anybody about that. Um, But, like, it's so sweet. Like, it's a gift that the Lord has given us um, that's just good, and it's a treasure. And so it's one of my favorite, like, things of telling people. If they, like, say, Melina, I've, like, done all this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, let's, like, enter into repentance. And they're like, ooh. And I'm like, no, it's great. Like, it's wonderful. Just do it. I promise. Um, And they're like, okay, I'll start it. Um, But it's a gift that the Lord has given us, and um, it's just sweet. And so um, I want to encourage you guys that if that's something that kind of you feel like the Lord is calling you to or asking for in your life, um, that it's not something to run away from, but to run toward, um, and to run toward that conversation, and run toward um, the intimacy and the depth that the Lord wants to bring in your life. Um, And you can even do that just in community, and your friends want to love you in it. They want to journey with you in it. They want to hug you. um, They want to encourage you and um, it's good and so um, that is what I'm going to leave you guys with we have a couple of announcements so if you weren't here earlier ladies um, we have a sign up sheet in the back for our redeemed um, event that's coming up April uh, 12th and 13th and that'll start at six o'clock so we'll start with dinner together we'll spend the night at Miss Margaret's house and then we'll leave at lunchtime um, and so we'll eat lunch together and then we'll be dismissed but excited about that and um, then on Wednesday we have our cafe day revive on campus um, so it's essentially it's like souped up coffee and muffins we our goal is to set up an outdoor coffee shop on campus um, so we're gonna be by Surf and Steve. We're stealing all the couches um, in the gateway and out here. Um, We're going to have coffee and we're going to have muffins. And the whole purpose is going to be engaging in spiritual conversations with students on campus um, that we want to set up an atmosphere where they'll come and sit down um, and study maybe. And so if you um, have any free time during your day in between classes, we would love for you to come and participate with us, even study there. Like if you're like, man, I got to go to the library and study. Why don't you just come sit on one of our pretty couches and outside and have coffee and a free muffin? Um, 
just so we can encourage that environment and other students coming and sitting and participating and have fun together. So we'll be there um, this next Wednesday from 9 to 2. And um, if you're not able to come, that's totally okay. But if you would just pray for us um, and pray for the Lord to move and that we um, would have to ha- that we would be able to have great gospel-centered conversations um, and that we'd see salvation come from that and be able to intercede for our campus. Because um, we just believe the Lord wants to move. And um, it says that there are the harvest is ripe. Um, and the laborers are few. And so if the harvest is ripe um, and we're the laborers, we want to pick as much as we can. Um, We want to work hard on our campus with the time that he's given us there. Um, And so the time is now, like he's given us now and this time on campus to be there. And so we want to use it. Um, So that's what we're going to be doing on Wednesday. So we'd love to have you guys, but that's all that I have. And so if you haven't signed up, go ahead and sign up. Um, And you guys are dismissed and we get to go celebrate our friends.